0: Welcome to Archiving AK, a podcast of the Archives and Special Collections at the UAA APU Consortium Library in Anchorage, Alaska. We're here to talk about what we do, what our researchers are up to, and to give you a closer look at the world of archives. Hi, everyone. This is Veronica with Archiving AK. I'm here today with researcher Dylan Harris. Dylan, would you like to tell us a little about yourself and what your research project is?
1: Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me. This is awesome. (laughs) Um, I'm a PhD candidate in the Graduate School of Geography at Clark University, which is over in Worcester, Massachusetts. My research topic deals with kind of the intersections of climate change and storytelling. So, in a nutshell, uh, how can climate change or how can storytelling help us deal with climate change in a more meaningful way? Uh, And I typically do this work in places where it's difficult to talk about it. So, for example, in Alaska, you know, folks are very aware that it's happening. It's not as if folks here are in denial, but it's really difficult to talk about the complexities of it because of the relationship to oil. And so a lot of my work at the archive here has been historical and kind of tracing that relationship to understand, you know, kind of the deeper political relationships that inform people's daily decisions about things like that.
0: Is your focus on the... Whole United States or a certain part of the US or Alaska was your focus?
1: It's interesting we do a dissertation because you start off with this huge project and then you have to whittle it down. And a lot of people still think my project is too big, but my research is kind of split between uh, Appalachia and Alaska. Mm-hmm. And in Appalachia, more specifically, just based on where I work most, uh, it's mostly West Virginia, although I've done work in uh, Northern Georgia and Tennessee as well. So, mm-hmm. um, but both places I find, uh, again, they seem incredibly disparate, but at the same time, they have similar relationships to coal over there, oil here, mm-hmm. very similar histories as far as being sites of basically extraction for American progress. And I think the people who live in those places have deep relationships and cultural ties to those resources that, again, comparatively make it really difficult to, again, have conversations about climate change um, different, in different ways. But yeah, mm-hmm. so it's in both places.
0: Yeah. And how did you come to pick your topic?
1: Right. I guess I should say, you know, I grew up in Mississippi. Um, I've always been politically involved. I've always done sort of activist work all through my high school, all through college. And one of the biggest struggles has always been uh, how do you get people to care about something? You know, it's not as if in my undergrad, you know, I was doing tabling events uh, in Mississippi. It's not like people were just actively opposed to whatever I was talking about. If it was a, a dam project in Chile or whatever, most people just don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've struggled my whole life to move past what I think is just kind of typical activism and and find, again, meaningful ways to engage with people. And when I started my dissertation project, I was actually going to do my project overseas. Uh, Most of my work has been international, so I've taken some time off between schools and things and have done uh, development work. Um, And I was originally doing research overseas in Nepal. uh, And a series of events happened there involving landslides and all Mm -hmm. kinds of Um, you know, kind of personal and ethical questions about doing research abroad and what it means to be over there versus doing work here. And, uh, you know, long story short, I I kind of circled back to the United States and specifically West Virginia as a place I care about. I've I've spent a lot of time there. I've lived there quite a bit. And when you do a dissertation project, right, you have to do something somewhere that you care about um, and with people you care about to do it well, I think. Mm -hmm. All of that to say, in those places... How can I combine this kind of long-term struggle of getting people to care about something? Uh, that's something being climate change, which is something I've been interested in for years, uh, and a place where people really need to talk about it. And so just a bit more about Nepal, I guess, really quickly. While I was there, I was in a landslide, and it was pretty harrowing. You know, someone died like five feet in front of me, and it was a pretty eye-opening experience for all kinds of reasons. Like, I've been in those situations before because of previous work, but for whatever reason, that particular experience, I was like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I went ahead and did my research but when I got back to Kathmandu and I was just kind of Googling research elsewhere, I noticed that in West Virginia, there were more landslides that year in West Virginia mm-hmm. than Nepal. And more people had died from weather related events, at least reported ones because there were big floods in West Virginia that year. Mm-hmm. But then there's no way to talk about it, right? Yeah. There's no language to, to have conversations about it. Uh, so again, back to my point originally, how did I come to this topic? I've always been really worried about how to get people to care about stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Again, climate change motivates me in a lot of, a lot of ways. And how do I get people I care about to care about something that's affecting them? Um, and I came to storytelling as a way to do that, mm-hmm. as a way that people, something that people pay attention to, especially in places like West Virginia, where, you know, there's all kinds of work being done now on like arts and climate change and the intersection of these worlds. And I think that's all really rad. And I actually participate in quite a bit of that, but they often take place in places like Brooklyn or LA,
0: mm-hmm. not
1: in West Virginia, and right. not really in Alaska either. So storytelling is something that folks can listen to, pay attention to, enjoy, and participate in themselves. And so that's sort of my angle with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's a long answer right. <laughs> to your question, but that's that's that.
0: What other archives have you been to for your research?
1: I do lots of archival work, um, and it wasn't really my intention initially. So if my research can basically be broken down into three chunks, it's like, what is storytelling? How is it practiced? And that's much more field work, interviews, you know, kind of in-person stuff. And then what is the relationship to climate change in these places? And that's almost been entirely archival. So I started off the oral histories, but then I got deeper and deeper and deeper. And so to answer your question, let's see, I've worked in, guess the first archive I worked in for this particular research um, was in Georgia at this place called Foxfire. They do lots of, uh, they collect lots of Appalachian kind of culture and wisdom over the years. They've been doing it for, well, since the sixties. Uh, so there um, I've worked at the state archives in West Virginia quite a bit, uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks a lot, um, state archives in Juneau quite a bit. The archives here at UAA as of you know last week or so, <laughs> uh, and I'll be headed up to the, um, the Arctic next week to work in the Inupiat Heritage Center mm-hmm. uh, in Ukiavik So I'll be there for a while, uh, digging around in their archives, and I guess you know kind of all over the place. So you know. The more I do this work, the more I realize archives aren't necessarily things stored in boxes either. So mm-hmm. what are, how do you read a landscape like an archive? That's something I do quite a bit as well, is try to do that. And so with all of that, in the second chunk, the third part is to use that knowledge to see if storytelling is actually helpful to change those opinions. So mm-hmm. the archival bit's huge, uh, and I've been, God, in so many of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: What collections have you been in in our archive here at UAI?
1: Right. So I started off with the David Hickok collection or mm-hmm. papers. Super fascinating. And then I moved to the Harry Dobson collections. Okay. Kind of been all over the place. I mean, I'm looking for a lot of mining history specifically here, which you guys happen to have quite a bit of. And again, things about oil and um, you know energy issues in general, and specifically how that is wrapped up in statehood. Mm-hmm. So um, today, for example, reading uh, Jack... Jack's his name, Roderick, Uh, his work on oil and sort of exploration here right around the turn of statehood. So that's what I've been mostly focused on here.
0: Mm -hmm. And as you're going from archive to archive, have there been any major differences between research room roles?
1: 100%. And actually, I've I've joked with friends that I would love to write a book someday on just how different archives are, Mm -hmm. because I think, in my mind at least, I think that they're all going to be pretty similar. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you go into a room, you have your boxes, and you sit and you do your thing. But each culture and every archive is 100% different. And so, for example, Foxfire, you know, theirs isn't even really stored in acid-free boxes. They're just kind of hanging around in filing cabinets, and they're kind of loosely organized. And it's sort of like, here's the keys to whatever you want. Just, like, (laughs) have this whole building to yourself. Uh, Versus UAF, which is a pretty sterile environment, um, you know, for good reason. You know, my gloves... Uh, sit down, be watched by two people all the time. Uh, and it was lovely because I could talk with them and interact with them versus in Foxfire where I was just by myself. Right. And the, the director's around, but it's not really his job to help me figure out my research. And mm-hmm. so those are kind of the different poles and, and then everything in between, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, every, every place has been 100% different.
0: When I do instruction sessions for students about archival research, I always tell them the general rules But then say these are going to vary place to place. Like we allow you to take photos. Some places don't allow you to take photos. Or the glove thing. You know, you don't have to wear gloves here. Or you know, we're not exactly the most quiet space, as you probably (laughs) can tell. Um, So a lot of our conversations, like work related, happen in the research room. Right. Because that's just an easy place for the three of us to congregate. Right. So. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I actually really love it here, actually. As far as, like, spaces go, I love working here because I was talking to Arlene just the other day, but the the lamp table setup is really nice Mm -hmm. here, so I'm a fan.
0: Yeah, we try to make it inviting so people aren't nervous when they – I mean, people are always nervous when they walk in, but try to make it a little bit more casual. Right. Yeah. And how did you come to find us? Did you Google us? Did you know that we just existed or –
1: so I was coming to Anchorage anyways, uh, again, sort of on my way up to the Arctic. Uh, I was going to stay with some friends and uh, just for some time before I headed up there. And I knew the university was here. I've been here before, actually. Uh, I worked over in um, an office in the, close to the geography department. Okay. And this happened at yeah, Google a few weeks ago. I mean, I knew there was some sort of a special collection and there had to be. I shouldn't really think about having time here. But when I looked it up and I saw all the history on mining specifically and in oil development, I was like, "Yes!" So, kind of from Google, kind of from having been here, mm-hmm. kind of from knowing how universities work in general, and, and assuming there would be some sort of special collections, um, and then being, you know, pleasantly surprised yeah. that there's so much stuff.
0: And what is the most interesting or coolest thing you found while doing your research? It doesn't have to be here. Right. Okay. I won't be offended.
1: Well, I can say what I found here, which is sort of the <laughs> coolest thing I found in general. Right. So. Mm-hmm. When you start, I don't know if I'm edging on another question here, but when you start archival research, you can have an idea of what you want to do. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of the relationship you build with each archive and then how those relationships build between and across different archives Mm -hmm. that you start to develop a question, you know, or at least not a question, but maybe an answer to the question you already have. Mm -hmm. All that to say, what I've really enjoyed finding here, as I've narrowed my research and I understand more and more what I'm looking for, uh, is these kind of intersections of empire progress and energy uh, and how as sort of America or the United States moved across the continent and Alaska being, you know, quote, the last frontier, um, how those conversations come to fruition very much uh, explicitly around oil development, statehood, and then all it's all wrapped up in progress for the state or for the United States in general or for the world economy more broadly. And so finding something as simple as a letter from Harry Dobson to his wife when he's doing mining or gold prospecting that, you know, if you're paying attention, really wraps all of that together in just a love letter. Mm. I find really uh, fascinating. Right. And it's partly knowing what you're looking for and then partly being surprised. And I think mm. archive research is sort of this weird conversation, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, that's been the most interesting thing.
0: Okay. And what do you find to be the most difficult thing about doing your type of research in archives?
1: One of the most difficult things for me, uh, and but it's been really challenging and, and in a fun way, is and it's been kind of rough when I started too, is you can't just walk into an archive and say I'm doing research on climate change, mm-hmm. right? Because certainly there is climate archives, right? There's kind of in the more physical science, you have pollen seeds and mud sediment, and ice cores, those are considered archives mm-hmm. of climate data. Uh, and of course you have, you know, NOAA data or NASA data that you look up. But in terms of social, cultural, historical, and political data on climate change, that's really hard because climate change isn't really that old of a concept. Mm-hmm. And archives, you know, certainly can be contemporary, but a lot of times have older things. And so when you're looking at things from the 1920s, you can't just look up climate change. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be really creative and interpretive with what would inform climate change. And mm-hmm. so that's been really hard, actually, but that's how I've sort of come to terms with what I am looking for after doing this for now six months almost is how to find interpretations of of climate change or what Mm -hmm. histories inform current day relationships to climate change, Mm -hmm. uh, which is difficult. And it's difficult for archivists in my experience too. And I walk in and I say, Oh, I'm interested in this. And they're just like, uh, that's literally everything. And so you have to whittle it down. So it's been really hard to study that Mm because it's not really, it's not something you just look up. Yeah. But, um, you can, you know, if you pay attention.
0: Yeah. I know, like, we have a lot of journals. And almost everybody who writes a journal will just talk about the weather. <laughs> right. In their journal. I mean, they have nothing else really to write about other than, like, chopping wood that day. Right. And then it's 10 degrees out. But we don't really, we might not say that in the collection description. Right. Or we might just say, you know, discusses weather. Right. So you have to kind of think about different ways that the items will be described as well 100 percent. yeah what do you like about doing archival research
1: i think i started to answer this question already yeah (laughs) which is that it's a conversation and i feel like the more i do it the more my mind is blown about you know just what even is an archive is fascinating Mm -hmm. you know we we kind of cordon off documents and put it in a filing cabinet or a box and it becomes an archive but what what is that you know the the kind of uh, what becomes knowledge and knowledge production? I find all of that and kind of medicines very mm. fascinating. But like I was saying earlier, it's very much a conversation. You know, you're interacting with and talking with, in some ways, relating to lots of time dead, dead people and their mm. ideas, and you're bringing them back to life through your research. And I feel like that's a really iterative and relational process that the more I think about it, the more I really appreciate it on the one hand. Uh, and on the other hand, I feel there's an ethics to it right? that mm-hmm. we don't often talk about. right? You, you owe a lot to people,
0: mm-hmm. in
1: my experience, uh, who have done a lot of work already. And so there's just all these sort of large sort of ethical research questions that linger in the back of my head while doing this work, but I love it. I find it so uh, challenging,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, important, and the more I do it, the more I like it. Um, mm-hmm. And the more I can find things that I didn't think I was looking for. Um, because as a, you know, academic, knowledge production is part of my job, I suppose, and we often don't think about the meta questions of how that actually happens. When we do research, it's often about the thing we're looking at versus how we're looking at it and why we're looking at it mm-hmm. and how what we're looking at came into existence in the first place mm-hmm. and who was involved with that process. And I can get down a rabbit hole really quickly, but I really <laughs> love questions like that. Yeah. And that's been my favorite part of archival research for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. For anybody starting out doing archival research, what would you want them to know? Any tips or tricks?
1: Yeah. Um, I wish I could think of the name of this author right now. I read this paper once um, where people do one of two things that's harmful in archival research. They'll walk in with no idea whatsoever Mm -hmm. and get overwhelmed and just sort of drown in the data. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Or they'll walk in with too specific of an idea and not find what they're looking for and get frustrated and walk out. Mm -hmm. And what you need to do Uh, and this is in my experience is have something in mind you know a topic but being really open to how you're going to come to terms with that or how you're going to find information about it and this article um, mentioned you should go into an archive and just wallow in it that's how they they put it right obviously uh, you cannot do that physically but you should just have lots of leads and ideas and things that may seem disparate and try your hardest to find connections between those things because somewhere in that uh, kind of spectrum between knowing not enough and knowing too much you sort of figure out what you're looking for mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's what you need to do you right. walk in with a sense of what you're interested in and again just wallow in it mm-hmm. and also and this is hard for researchers i think um, coming to terms with the fact that it's a really creative endeavor it's incredibly mm-hmm. interpretive it's very subjective. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make it any less, you know, quote, true or objective. Um, it's just a very interpretive process. Yeah. Uh, and it's conversational, right? Maybe not actually with the person, but you're, you're having a conversation with this material, mm-hmm. and every single person's going to have that conversation differently mm-hmm. and read it differently and pull something differently from it. And I think, again, for researchers, that can be frustrating because you want, you know, what it's supposed to be saying. But right. It really comes down to what you think is important. Yeah. So... I think those are two important things.
0: Yeah. When I teach the classes, I tell the students to remember that this stuff was created by people right? and that, you know, it could have a bias or most likely will have a bias. The information could be incorrect. You might want to double check some of the so-called facts that they say in their letters or reports. against something else just to just to remember that, that. These are the products of people and people yeah. make mistakes yeah.
1: yeah and how things are collected
0: yeah
1: is flawed which is not to say that's not good or true mm-hmm. but there's also something to understand and analyze about the flawed process of knowledge production mm-hmm. and like i was saying earlier what gets put in archive in the first place mm-hmm. um there's a lot of privilege with knowledge production mm-hmm. you know we have to constantly ask as kind of more ethical oriented researchers, like what's not in the archive, what's right. not represented, mm-hmm. what's missing between the boxes and folders. Mm-hmm. Cause that's all the archive, right? Yeah. It's the people who put it in the box, it's the people who weren't put in the box, it's the folks who work here, it's you, mm-hmm. it's me talking about it. And I and I and I love how researchers themselves become a part of the archive by being mm-hmm. associated with it, right? Yeah. Um, and these get back to these larger kind of meta questions of knowledge production and it's the act of archiving.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, it's a relatively new thing for human history. We haven't been doing it that long, yeah. actually. Um, so we're still figuring it out
0: yeah. and how to do it. Yeah. Do you have any questions for me, just being an archivist?
1: How would you approach climate change, right? How would you <laughs> okay. go about studying it? Because this is something I've, you know, <laughs> putting on the spot. But this has been a really fun, again, yeah. challenge and struggle for me is I walk into an archive and I sort of throw all my ideas at an archivist and they're like, um...
0: Hmm. All right,
1: let's 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 see if we can figure something out. And it's been that iterative process, again, of having conversations with archivists, the material and archivists, that I've learned so much. So, yeah, yeah I'm curious how okay. you would, if you just got pushed, yeah. how would you figure it out? How oh, I
0: figure it out? Luckily, I also describe collections as part of my job, which I think it's really great for an archivist to work on a reference desk and also describe collections, because then they kind of get a sense of what researchers are looking for and also how somebody would go about trying to find information that they want so climate change trying to find stuff within the archives okay so i would look like i said i'd look at letters mm-hmm. i'd look at journals or diaries and oh we have this one collection i just described and it's a ship it's ship log books like pilot has logs. Right. totally would use those because they mention the weather all mm-hmm. the time and then i would see if i could compare it because so Alaska's a little different and you know we didn't have like a newspaper back in the 1800s or anything really that would keep track of temperature or weather. So you do have to go to those actual documents, and like the letters or the journals. So I'd probably look at that and then com- try to compare it with later stuff if I could and right. see what else is there. But here it's hard I guess because a lot of our journals and diaries, letters, that would have climate stuff, like weather, are older. Right. But our newer stuff doesn't really. So I don't know. Like our stuff from yeah. the 80s doesn't really have, like nobody really talks about the weather in the 1980s. I right. mean
1: Yeah, no, it's fascinating.
0: <laughs> but I guess then you could go to, you know, NOAA records or more federal sure. records.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did I yeah. answer it right? Yeah, uh-huh. no,
1: for sure. I mean, again, this is the funny thing about climate change, right? Because it's not just weather either, right? Yeah. Uh, because tidal data.
0: Oh, we have awesome tidal, tide data yeah. too. We have these huge t- tide charts. They're really long, though. So, or maps. You know, maps, resources yeah. in general. Yeah.
1: And uh, when you again, in my work, when I understand relationships too, it's it's mm-hmm. not just the climate itself, but how it got this way, and
0: mm-hmm. how people
1: use the environment. And so,
0: or stories. So we have yeah. a lot of Alaska Native stories in yeah. the Seward Peninsula. That one's great. And the coasts and stuff. So that would be something to look at too. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know
1: you had that, so that's good to know. Yeah, I should look that
0: up. We do have some. Yeah. I guess that's how I do it. Any? Cool. have any other questions? I think that's it for me. I think me. that's it. Alright, so the last question is, do you have any hints for other researchers who may be thinking about a trip to Alaska to do research?
1: Uh, hints for doing research in Alaska. Or research in archives in Alaska. Sure, yes. Um, yeah.
0: Or just coming to Alaska to do research. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, I think, you know, well, let's see. I want to be careful with the way I frame this. Um, I think a lot of people do research in general in places that they think are just cool to go to. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. But when you really interrogate and are thoughtful about your process and the types of questions you should be asking and the people you should be asking those questions to and you know, to that in which archives you should be accessing... Um, I think you really need to think about you know what's the best place for your research, and if it is Alaska, um, my experience so far has been that the archives specifically have been incredibly helpful. Um, and so, a hint for doing research here would be to do your research ahead of time for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get as as familiar with the process as you can, but then also um, talking with the archivist in person has been the most helpful <laughs> thing for me because, especially again at the state archive, where there's so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't really do that over the phone. You can't really do it through email. So part of you, you just have to kind of show up and mm-hmm. talk with folks. Uh, and it's, again, this iterative process that takes a while, but um, you know, research should take a while, I think. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, come here and figure it out. Yeah, right. <laughs> but before you get here, maybe really think about where you need to be doing research.
0: Yeah, Look. look on our website and look through our collections to see if we have what you're looking for. Right. Because we get that sometimes. They don't really look at our right. website, and then they show up. And then we say, mm, we don't really have a lot from Russia. Right. So you might want to go to Juno.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Do you have anything else you'd like to add?
1: Um, I think that's it. Awesome. Archival research is awesome. I enjoyed it a lot. It's been really helpful for me, and I'm excited to, again, apply it to kind of the, the more applied part of my research, which is to, in the next few months, I'm going to be running workshops of storytellers, activists, and scientists, and using what I've learned in the archives to sort of uh, stimulate those conversations. Mm -hmm. So here's historical understanding of climate relationships in these places, and to sort of play around with storytelling and science to see if we can actually find a meaningful ways to talk about it. Um, So I'm excited to apply a lot of what I've been doing for the past six months over the next three or four months through these workshops, Mm -hmm. so check back in and see how that goes
0: yeah and then when do you hope to be finished with your project
1: hoping to be done with research by August or September that'll have been about uh, 12 months of field work Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'll start writing my dissertation in earnest and hopefully be done you defend by February or March next year great graduate in May fingers crossed
0: yeah Yeah. well good luck thank you Well, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do this. Mm -hmm. Of course. I would again like to thank Dylan for sitting down with me to discuss his research and experiences working in archives. This is Veronica with Archiving AK. Thank you for listening.